Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell. Hanging out here on Thursday. Uh, our boy, we are presented by Citizen, by the way. Outstanding watches, Echo Drive technology. Make sure you go check those out. Um, our boy Raja had like some sort of travel issue. Where is he? So I don't, he's on load management break. Yeah. It's more load management. He's on spring break with his kids and they go up to New York. I think is where he is up in Long Island for his family. And he said his, his kids basically, they had, they staged a mutiny. They were like, we're not going back to Florida. We still have time left on spring break. So they held him hostage and he said, I can't come back. So we'll see him next week, I guess. But you, sir, David Sampson are filling in for him. You need, we were just checking out our pictures behind. They have a picture of me with the Giants. They have Rajas, of course, uh, infamous clothesline there with Kobe Bryant. You need a picture behind it's you. It's time. And I mean, it's really been a year. We could have had a Marlins jersey set up behind you. What would your, what would what picture would you want behind you? I have a hunch which one I think you would want. I want the picture of me in the Washington Generals uniform when I got to play on the court against the Harlem Globetrotters. Wait a second, this really happened? It this really is happened, story? and I took a I took a free throw with my eyes closed as part of the game. Really? Was, was this a charity thing where you gave money? I was to play with them? no. I was asked by the Globetrotters to come. Uh, this is at AAA Arena down in Miami. That's and really it was amazing. Cool. I coached the first half and then played the second half. And I don't know if you can tell on t- on TV right now on the queue. I'm not a tall guy. <laughs> right. Like my chair is super high up right now. Right. Right. Which bothers you, right? <laughs> you always, this is us <laughs> well, before I the show starts. Really full. <laughs> Samson, you got to get lower than I am. I'm way taller than you. That's right. And then in That's my like ear. Janita, when she's setting up our chairs. You Could you move his chair down, yeah, exactly. please? It's a little too high. I thought you were going to say one of your ultra marathon, like coming across the finish line. Like that would be the, picture. oh, that's a good one. Behind Except there. I look very peaked always at the end. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet you look exhausted. By the way, I did want to follow up because I, I'm fascinated with all your ultra marathons that you can Pete in and, and just uh, try ultra Ironmans, all of that. So you did the 50 mile uh, in Arizona on sand, which was incredible. And we talked a lot the other day when you filled in about mind over matter and how, you know, you just have to believe it. You can't quit. Have you ever quit? Like, have you ever given up on a race? Never. Not finished. See, that's ever completed. How many? Many. Uh, 20 marathons. That's unbelievable to me because I was, and I forgot, I was kicking myself for not asking you that because I would have assumed at some point there was some race where maybe you started puking or, you know, camping or. Yes. So you just, you try crying, crying. Yes. All of those accidents. And never yes. quit a race. No. How can you that quit? That is unbelievable. No, I mean, I just, human nature, like I think, and you said what percentage of people in Arizona quit the race. I didn't say, they didn't finish. Oh. They didn't finish. Well, that's. There's a time. You have 15 hours to finish 50 miles. Oh, okay. So and they didn't technically quit. They just couldn't get to the some of Some of them walked off the right, course. So how about you? Have you ever not finished? Nope. See, that's, that's. You mean a race? Even, yeah. Yeah. That's no. super impressive. That is really impressive. Uh, you know why? You just keep going. Yeah, it's one of the great mottos of all time. When you think you can't go another step, just keep going. I am big. I love reading books about Navy SEALs. Uh, our boy Coca, who's in the control, my producer, uh, loves Jocko Willink. I think it's Willink or Willink. Is Coca a Navy SEAL? No, he does look like he could be he one. Does. But our boy Jocko, I love reading his books and I listen to his podcast all the time. But they're, you know, when they, when they train the SEALs, it's all about mind over matter. And I think you'd be surprised. When you see the physique of some of the seals, cause they're not necessarily chiseled six packs and looks, but they just, 
they have a knack for able to push through anything. So you, maybe you could have been a SEAL. Well, again, I, I don't know that I could have because I have a thing with guns. <laughs> right. Well, that's, then, that, which, that which may be bad. Yeah. But here's the thing about athletics. And I would talk about this with players all the time during my 18 years running a team. I talk to them about what is your approach? I understand you want to party off the field. I understand that you're a major league athlete. I get all that. But when you are on the field, all I'm asking for is moments of concentration. Mm -hmm. Baseball, it's not every second, right? I'm talking about each pitch when you're defending. You have to be in that moment, and then you can be out of the moment and look at the crowd, eat some sunflower seeds. But then when the windup comes, you're back in. So it's very quick moments baseball requires of concentration. What I do in endurance sports, it requires constant and, and so we would talk of, about the difference where you can't allow yourself to be distracted because all of a sudden you you lose your route. You forget you forget what you're doing. You try to get into a zen state where your body just goes and goes and goes. But in baseball, you cannot do that. You have to have very, very strong concentration. Yep, something I try to teach my daughter. She's playing junior golf right now. And it's similar because there's a lot of time in between shots where you can kind of let loose. And so I encourage you to try to have fun, but then you have to dial it in when it's when you time address to the ball. Get the shot, absolutely. You address the ball, you've yeah. got to be there. We could do a bunch of stuff on all of this throughout the whole uh, the whole show today, but it is opening day. I think opening day should be a national holiday. I really do. Like somebody needs to campaign to go to Capitol Hill and start set some bill before Congress. I don't even know if this is actually how you would do it, but it needs to be a national holiday because we've got games where first pitch is at one o'clock today. I mean, I think you should be allowed to Did skip school. Did you skip school? school to watch opening day when you were growing up? Absolutely. Did you go to games with well, your dad? dad? Absolutely. And my dad was all about it. I think most dads would be okay. Like, if there was a vote for it, I think most people would you vote for it. your dad has seen me naked? <laughs> I did not. I did the not know that. Do- did you that know he was the true. team doctor for the Marlins? I did know that. You know I used to work for the Marlins. I did know that. Two but plus that's two. Still, no, but that doesn't exactly correlate. So you would shower in the clubhouse. No. Wait, well, then how, when, how did my dad <laughs> see you naked then? That's Ever heard I'm of curious. physicals? Okay, so he would give the physicals he, for everybody, not he, just the players. Well, front office, we'd get physicals once really? a year. And I was always the most fit guy. Really? Lowest cholesterol, lowest pulse. You know my dad tells everybody that. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. I, no we had, we had actual numbers. You had the we data right in front of you. You had it right there. Do you have? I a, love your dad. Of by all, the way. no, he's the best. I'm very blessed to have the dad that I do. Um, do you have a favorite opening day memory from all from your childhood or as being a president of an organization? So Is many there good one ones. that stands out to you? Well, I think the top one has to be when we had a rain delay at a retractable roof ballpark in Miami. Like, right. how's that not the number one? Right, right. So here's his <laughs> opening day, and I'm watching the game. And I've got my phone with me, and um, I'm watching the weather because that's what you, that's what I do because we were playing with the roof open, and I know it takes 12 minutes to close the roof. And I'm watching, and there's a little tiny cell that I see, but it's it's fine. We're fine. Everything's great. We're fine. <laughs> what? Oh my God! It's pouring rain on the field. I get a call from the owner. What the f is going on? I get a call from the guy who runs the roof and runs the stadium. We got it. We have a rain delay. Get the tarp. We don't have a tarp. They had to go find a tarp, which we kept outside of the ballpark. We had a rain delay on opening day. I got was in that trouble. the first game at Marlins Park? No. Okay, so the thankfully first game, it wasn't that. that opening day was Muhammad Ali. That I was at that game in the golf cart, which was yeah, that was an incredibly emotional. But you guys took some heat for that. Oh, what do you mean? We well, got all our hair singed off. Wait, what was the biggest problem? That it took too long? No, the biggest problem is Muhammad Ali, he actually had an issue. 
he came into the clubhouse before the game to speak to the players and yep. meet the players, and we all took photos with Which him. Which was awesome. I remember it seeing some of those. I was at that amazing. game. Yeah. The problem was right before the ceremonies were going to start, and we never talked about this publicly. So this is the first time I've ever said this. Uh, there was Muhammad Ali had a had an attack, basically, and he we had it. We were almost going to cancel the festivities, and we had to delay. Uh, his part of opening day when he came out in the golf cart the way he did, yep. that all was last minute. With Jeffrey being with him in the golf cart the way he was, mm-hmm. it was basically to help Muhammad Ali because he, that day, that afternoon, something had happened to him and he ended up in much worse shape than he had been. And I had been lucky enough to spend time with him both before and after that. And it was at that moment of that opening day that we had planned for our entire careers that we had spent so much time on and we were so excited and we felt so badly for him. He wanted to be out there and he wanted to throw the first pitch. Mm-hmm. And as you remember, he was only able to hand the ball off yep. and that's by us putting the ball in his hand. He just had at a moment. And with Parkinson's, you have moments like that. I remember because I was there and remember thinking the first time he came out is it was sort of this sympathy for Ali because you don't see him a lot in the public or you didn't see him a lot in the public uh, spotlight that much and it had been a while one of his last he, public appearances exactly and when you, I think most people's reaction was like man that looks really rough and I think that was the most the, the reaction that it was had. and and we didn't know what to do because he and and his family they wanted him to have that moment they wanted him to come out he has a big history in Miami you know we had gotten to know him very very well and it, we were close and we didn't know what to do. And we made the decision that we were going to go forward and have Muhammad Ali come out. And it was tough. It yeah, was tough. It was. Uh, I was at the first game in Marlins history. Uh, Marley Huff. Huff throughout the first pitch. That was pretty cool to see that. He didn't, Although he actually, he actually pitched the first pitch. Right, right. He what was the actual, he was like 46 think, years yeah, old. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought he was 45 or 46, which is crazy. He was older than I was when he threw out the first pitch in a real Major League Baseball game, which is nuts. One of the coolest things I ever got to do, and this is one of the advantages of, of having a dad who was a team doctor, was there was a day like in spring training in Charlie, and I was a, I was in high school, uh, at the time, and was, uh, he was teaching me how to throw the knuckleball. So we got to play catch, and he was kind of showing me, showing me how, because you know, if you're not, if you don't know anything about baseball, you don't throw it with your knuckles, you throw it with your fingernails. So he was showing me where to place your fingernails and why he had the nail file and his nails were so clear. But then he's like, let's play catch and see how you do. Did you catch it? Oh my gosh. I, oh my, I was like, so scared that I was going to catch one in the nose and the eye that something was going to hit my face and like several pass balls because I didn't have the giant mitt that they have for knuckleballers. But it was uh, it was really a catching cool a knuckleball is it, the hardest thing in baseball to do, and I feel for catchers all the time because when you call for a slider, you know you know call for a slider fastball, you know changer, where it's going to be, you know where it's going to be, yep. and you know the movement on the ball. The knuckleball, the actual person throwing the knuckleball has no idea where it's going. And if there's wind in the stadium, that throws it off. It can make it enhance it even more where it's dancing around a little bit more. We need baseball needs another like classic knuckleballer to come out there. Well, by the way, the current knuckleballer on the Red Sox is sitting out because he did steroids. (laughs) Right. What do you need steroids for doing knuckleballs? Charlie Huff could do it at 46. Why do we need uh, Charlie Huff used a lot of stuff, not steroids. (laughs) Right. He he was the guy from Major League with the Vaseline, the nail (laughs) file. Like he took off his uniform and there exactly. was stuff everywhere. I love that. I love that types of game. <laughs> we have a, a fantastic lineup of baseball games. Orioles, Yankees, Braves, Phillies, Giants, Padres, Mets, Nationals. We talked about that. 105, Astros, Rays, Red Sox, Mariners. Uh, the Yankees are obviously a team that everybody, you know, a lot of people follow you. They love or hate the, uh, hate the Yankees. 
I was a little bit surprised at the discipline, I guess you could say, that Brian Cashman showed this offseason not spending a boatload of money when there were guys like Bryce Harper out there, even some of these free agents still haven't been signing, not really doing anything with the the pitching uh, rotation, which is, you know, that Severino is going to be out a little bit, still a little suspect. They still obviously have a lot of bats in the lineup, but in this division alone, which is probably one of these two teams is probably going to represent the American League in the World Series, Yankees or Red Sox? Reds, uh, Yankees are the uh, odds-on favorite now to win it, but the Red Sox, defending champs, they haven't lost a lot either. But here's what you have to think about when you're Brian Cashman running the Yankees. You just spent last offseason $300 million to have Giancarlo Stanton on your team. Then you've got Aaron Judge, who is a position player who you're going to want to keep, and he's going to be three to $400 million. Are you going to add Harper and Machado to that? Because if you are, then you've got to take Stanton or Judge away. So it makes perfect sense that he was not going after Harper and Machado. The agents made up the fact the Yankees were in it in order to generate some interest and some competition, but the Yankees were never in on those guys. Interesting. Uh, don't you think the old Yankees under Steinbrenner, George Steinbrenner, would have done whatever it took to get the big names and spend whatever it took? Well, they are. Remember, they have Stanton. <laughs> right, right. right. They that. Right. So, and they did sign Chapman. Right. So to the biggest closer contract. So it's not as though, it, you know, you can't do that every year. You only have 25 spots on your team. Right. Now, for me, the reason the Yankees haven't won this decade, they just don't have the pitching. Mm-hmm. And this year they don't again. I, you know, Batonsis is hurt. Chapman to me is always suspect as his years continue. Their starting rotation is mediocre, truly mediocre. James Paxton, who they brought in by trade, will not have as good a season as he had in Seattle, which was his best year by far. Tanaka is always iffy with his elbow and with the issues he has. Severino's already hurt. J.A. Happ, you know, he puts the M in mediocre. (laughs) So I really don't know what the Yankees have in mind, which is why I'm choosing the Red Sox to actually win that division. The Yankees do have a very tough lineup. I love they brought in LeMahieu. I love Atavino, the um, uh, the bullpen arm who they signed as well. There's some interesting pieces, but the Red Sox overall, I believe, are a better team. Do you think uh, then they go on the Red Sox go on to the World Series again for the American League, or do you like the Astros to get back there? I do like the Astros. I think talk about pitching. I just think repeating is so hard, yeah. and I, I think that the Red Sox, the Astros tried to repeat last year, and they found out the World Series hangover is real. That the, what what drives you every day over 162 games, it's real. Look at the last time there was a repeat champion. Yep. It's it's 19 years ago already, and that was the core four of the Yankees with our guy Jeets, and uh, and it's just it's hard to do. I think the Astros winning two out of three, that's as close to a destiny. Uh, destiny. What's yep. what's the word? Not a destiny. Dynasty. Dynasty. Close, Thank you. Close, that's close very there. close. I think it's the 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 hangover is absolutely real. But there's also – so you have that going against you when you get complacent, you know, when you're in the off season and you're probably getting asked to be honored somewhere, do another parade or do some sort of dinner where you're getting honored, where the other teams are out there hungry, working, putting in extra workouts when they're there. But not only that, but then you have the target on your back as the World Series champion that every single series you get, more people are going to come watch. They're going to root against you. And the other team most likely – is going to want to have that notch on their belt too. Say, hey, we knocked off the defending World Series champion. So all of those things are just a couple of the reasons what makes it so tough. And any given day in baseball, any team can beat another team. When you Let's look at basketball. When Jordan was winning six out of eight, the two that he had to disappear from basketball, what the Warriors have done, it's really hard to beat a better team four out of seven games in a playoff series. And even in the NBA on a nightly basis, it's hard for a crappy team to win. But let's look at the Orioles today. Yeah, It's 380 to win 100. Shekels, 
if you bet the Yankees. Really? Guess what? <laughs> That's a huge favorite the right. Yankees are today. Right. Andrew Kashner is terrible, right? The Yankees line up. Everything's great. You know what? If they, Tanaka doesn't have it, yep. the Orioles, they're major leaguers. I can't name two of them. Neither can you. <laughs> right. But they're major leaguers. They could score. They could pitch, uh, hit a mistake and have a three-run homer, and the Orioles could win a game. Yep, absolutely. Just like that. Absolutely. Baseball, that's the way it works with a uh, pitch. I do think in the NBA with the Warriors specifically because they are so much significantly better with five all-stars on their roster that they're going to win uh, no matter what. Like, I don't think there's anything any team, I just don't think there's a roster that can match up in them. In a playoff series, I agree. Exactly. But in a a one-off game, any given day. Do you think it's the same thing? Do you think the baseball, that the best team is going to win? No. I don't think so either. It does not. get hot and you don't have the same pitcher out there for, you know, if you have the ace out there, you have to go deeper. All right, let's move over to the National League because the Phillies and Nationals, uh, are two teams that have been kind of, you know, contending for, you know, kind of that supremacy in their own division. They've both been trying to make moves. Of course, uh, Bryce Harper moves on from the Nationals, goes to the Phillies. Which team do you have more faith in of these two teams? Well, this got me in so much trouble. I did an interview in... Oh, uh, let's it, go it, there, then. It's so fun. I did an interview with a Washington, D.C. station the other day, and I made a headline, and I knew I was creating it because I actually mean it. The Nationals are better because they subtracted Bryce Harper. I am so glad you said that. That is the reality. And what's the reason? When you build a really good team and you have the best pitcher on the planet, in theory the best position player, everything's good, yet you don't ever win a playoff series. You've got to start looking at chemistry. You've got to start looking at clubhouse. Then you've got to start looking at what are the players telling you when you're in the front office running a team and you're in that clubhouse every day and you're with the manager and then you're with the players in the offseason. Not one Nationals player said, wow, we miss Bryce. Right. We wanted him back. Or campaigned for him. They're doing the opposite. They actually had the best spring training they've ever had. They were much, much more loose. They were much happier to be rid of him. Yeah. Very telling. I, I, similarly, uh, when I was on ESPN radio, I said something about Bryce Harper that I don't think he wins a World Series title in his career because I think he's more about himself and his brand than he is about being a great clubhouse guy, a great teammate, and playing. Yeah, I, I do think he plays the game hard. I do think he plays the game hard. But there's something about him that's abrasive that his teammates don't like. I think that was the problem with the Nationals the last few years when there's been a lot of speculation that there is something wrong with the clubhouse. And I think it stems from him because he's the leader of that. I mean, of course, Max Scherzer is going to have some say. But when you have dissension among your leaders and you have some guy who's one of the best players in baseball who's just You know not what that is, right? This, yeah. this is a ring you get from a team. How many of these does Barry Bonds have? I don't have any, right? right? Zero. We beat him in 2003. They had the best record in baseball, best regular season record. Barry Bonds, you go into that clubhouse in San Francisco, he had a chair three times the size. Didn't he have two lockers, too? Right, he had everything, right? And everyone knew, you just stay away from him. He's the king guy. He's the best. He's the best. Don't bother talking to me. No rings. Great player, home run record. We can talk about that. Is there any – because I've actually genuinely wondered this because I thought the same thing when a guy like Antonio Brown left the Steelers, goes to the Raiders. Like I don't think the Raiders are going to be that good because he's a selfish guy. Um, Is there 
are there guys that buck that trend? Like, and I'm trying to think of great players who have been selfish, who have ended up winning championships. And I would, like, I'm thinking about my Yankees history. Like, Reggie Jackson was a little bit abrasive, and I don't know how he was as a teammate in the clubhouse at the time. Like, I know they he called was, it the Bronx Zoo. Right. And that it was, was a little a team bit full of, of yeah. insanity, but those times it was very different back then. Right. The money was very different. The top paid player, let's say, was at a million dollars, right? Versus right. being at $35 million. But you've been in a clubhouse and you know very well, when you're not pulling for your teammate yep. and you're secretly wishing failure on a teammate or when you're looking at that teammate not running out of ground ball or you're looking at that teammate throw a fit or complaining about schedule or complaining about something, you realize that you're in trouble. The 03 Marlins, 25 guys, they would do anything for each other. Anything, whatever it took. You want to bunt a guy over, we're bunting a guy over. You want to cheer as a bench player because Jack McKeon's never going to play you, but you're not going to sit and mope. You're going to be on the bench for the national anthem cheering the entire game. Take a look at some guys who are more selfish and they don't win. Always. It's always the case. It always messes up, and especially in team sports. Like if you want to be a selfish individual, go golf. play tennis, go play golf, do something else where you don't have to rely on anybody else. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, analytics have obviously become a big part of baseball uh, as teams are embracing it more and more uh, over the past decade, 20 years. We've really seen Like Moneyball? It. Yeah, like Moneyball. Remember other- that movie? Yeah, it was pretty good. Did you like it? Uh, it's so untrue, that movie. <laughs> oh, really? All right, get to the fallacies real quick before we get to Ryan. All right, Man number Man. one, Billy Bean does not look like Brad Pitt. No, of Let's course. just start with that. Right, that's the first number two, inaccuracy. Where in the movie did they mention that the A's that year had the MVP in Miguel Tejada and the Cy Young Award winner in Zito, right. Calder, Hudson? Not one mention. They're talking Giambi, and they're talking some of the other schleppers they brought that in. That doesn't play well for Come Hollywood. On. They want to really downplay that. It's a movie. That. Of course, of course they do. I don't have a problem when they do that. I think it was in the book, though. It's dramatization. Of course, which I'm okay with. But people come up to me all the time. Yeah. Why don't, Why don't we do that when a bunch of nobodies? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Rob Manfred was speaking about uh, the age of analytics. He said, obviously, what the clubs are saying, the Bryce Harpers, the Mike Trouts, these free agents, Manny Machado, they have tremendous value. Then he cited the example of a 33-year-old player with a one war last season. Win above replacement. Yep. That, Everyone know what a war is? I, I Probably some of our listeners don't, so it's a good thing you straightened that out. That price has been disappointing for some players, but that's the market. What we've said to the players is, look, if that's your issue, you've got to tell us that's a distribution issue. That means some guys are getting too much. Some guys are getting too little. We're largely agnostic on that one, saying you guys do what you want to do. I love when Rob says agnostic. Right? Exactly. Like they're indifferent towards the whole deal. I do think it is going to be interesting. And we were just talking about Bryce Harper, you know, with his $330 million contract. How does it work when he's sitting next to some other vets who have been around a long time? Who are, you know, trying to get their money, you know, and they're just nowhere close to sniffing that one. It's, it does set up some interesting complexities within a clubhouse. Well, we actually always make clubhouses circular because we wanted players to hang out and not be very clicky. And the players tend to hang out not according to salary, mm-hmm. right? We had, you know, Giancarlo was making the most money on our team and he would hang out all the time with players who were making the least money. And it's about who you're compatible with and who you spend time with. But when you look at this list of players, do you know why Hunter Pence, Adam Jones, and Carlos Gonzalez aren't getting paid a lot of money? 
they're not good anymore, <laughs> right? Yep. So what what you have to realize if you are a agent or a player. What about a Craig Kimbrell or a guy, you know, like who's still a free agent right now? They want too much money. So what do you think they'll settle in at? Do you think they'll get – I mean, obviously, we have opening day today, and those three free agents are still not signed. The best they can hope for is a one- or two-year deal, and they'll be lucky to get it. For me, Keuchel, as a starting pitcher, Scott Boris came out and said, Keuchel's ready. He's ramped up. He can come in and start right now. Not true. You sign Keuchel right now. He's got to go to the minor leagues. He's going to need at least two starts at the minor leagues before his first major league start. So you're talking about missing four or five starts, and when a pitcher only gets 35 starts – you're talking about 10% of his season's done. So if you're going to pay him $10 million, you really should only be paying him 9 because he's missing 10% of the year. But Keiko wanted long-term. But he's not throwing hard in, a, in an era of velocity. He's not getting the swings and misses that other pitchers are getting. He's not getting the, the ground balls that he used to get. He's just not the pitcher he used to be. He's trying to get paid as though he is. Craig Kimbrell, unbelievable closer over the years. But we're finding that we can pay a closer half a million dollars who can still throw a hundred and still blow the same four saves <laughs> that Kimbrel is going to blow for twenty-five million dollars. Right. So I mean, it's obviously some of the economics of baseball uh, are something that some of these players that are older, that are veterans, that aren't getting the money they think they deserve. See, I think that's there's always a time in every player's career, every player, I guess. Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, maybe they will feel this way, but there comes a time when you feel you're worth more than you really are. And it's a really hard realization to come to, but it happens to everybody. You can have options, maybe like a Brian Urlacher, who I think the Bears offered him the last year he was there was two, two and a half million. He was like, no, that's not my market. So he quit. He retired. He hung it up. Other guys, they'll say they'll, they'll get cut from their team. Then they'll realize, oh, I'll go sign somewhere else. And it's much less than they thought they were going to yeah. get. And they probably would have been better off. They would have stayed in the There's each row and there's others, right? Each row was going to play even for no money. Yeah. He just wanted the uniform on. Then there's players like the Gary Sheffields of the world right. who say, hey, I'm worth $10 million. If you don't pay me my money, I'm just going to go sit on my couch. By the way, have fun on your couch. <laughs> that doesn't, as an executive, I never cared when a player or agent would say that. No, this player has to be paid $5 million. And we'd look and say, oh, okay. Good luck getting that. You've got 29 other teams to go to or go to the Independent League or the California Penal League, right. whatever you want, but you're not going to get it from us. Yep, absolutely. So that uh, always sort of the market resolves itself when you uh, the supply and demand, the laws of supply and demand usually work out. Always. Do you think – how would you rank baseball as far as popularity in our country, as far as the most uh, – the How are you measuring it? By, um, not right? not money from the salaries. I'm talking about like fan interest. Well, here's how I measure sports: asset value. Okay, right. That is how much is your team worth, and how much is your league worth. Speaking as a former president, right? But that's yeah, yeah, of course. That's, that's what your, I'm going to measure yeah, because that measures corporate sponsorship level. That measures fan interest. That really does asset it, though. Value. Oh, of course, because if you've got a league that no one's paying attention to, how come MLS teams aren't worth 100 million or 200 or 300 or 400 million each? Because no one cares about them. Because no one cares. Or the new football league, yeah, the AAF, yeah. the AAF. Those teams aren't worth 10 million, 20, 50 million because no one cares. NFL, those teams are worth in the billions because they're hard to get. There's only 32 of them, mm -hmm. and they've got tremendous, tremendous TV exposure, internet exposure, social media exposure, and that's why their value is the most. NBA, same. MLB, to me, has the lowest social media interaction, which hurts it. They've got some great, valuable teams in the Yankees, let's say, because of New York. But when you look at the majority of teams, I think it's only above the NHL. 
Oh, yep, there it is. Yep, by the way, there it is. Social media, that actually is, I would probably say the NFL has higher asset values than the NBA, but the NBA has more face stars. Of course. That gives them more Twitter followers and yep. social media followers. Other than that, I would say that is the right order for also asset values. NHL at the bottom, then MLB, then NBA, then NFL. But in social media, MLB has a problem. So if we're ranking those, NBA is one. Uh, excuse me. NFL is king. I'm sorry. I was looking at that list for the social media. NFL is king. NBA has gained a tremendous amount of popularity over the last decade. Because they promote their players, Danny. They're right behind them. Major League Baseball third, hockey fourth. If you're Rob Manford, if you're an owner of an organization, what are you doing to try to change that? Um, I know they're trying to shorten games. I don't think shortening a game by 15 minutes is going to change. I think they need to do a better More job. More action. Is so, what I like. Right. More action. How would you go about promoting the players? Well, right now there's a new commercial that was just put up at MLB that has all of the best players in baseball. They're at a dais, like a boardroom table, and they're all showing their personalities. What we've always asked our players to do is to be – have a personality. Don't necessarily just be the baseball player who gives an interview like this at the end of the game and says, I really went 0 for 4. They had a tough curveball, and I couldn't hit it. We're going to go get him tomorrow. Because it feels like that sometimes. And it's okay to have personality. People want that in this day and age. And to get Twitter followers, you have to engage your followers and be personable. And baseball's trying to get his players to do it. Rob Manfred called out Mike Trout and said, do more. And Rob Manfred almost got thrown out of town. But you know why, though? And this is where I think Man Manfred did make a little bit of a mistake there. Because Mike Trout doesn't have the best personality. And you can't force that on somebody. Like, you should be forcing a M Mookie Bet saying, hey, let's get him out in front of people. Even Bryce Harper, abrasive as he is, he wants to be an international star. Like, get him out. Even if he's a jerk or whatever, make him one of your... If I showed you 20 men in street clothes, can you pick out Mookie Betts? Um, I might be able to. Okay. It was a lineup there, but I and don't know. You are in not. sports. You are a personality, a major personality with a huge following. Might of course. I add. Yeah. And, and you're saying maybe, and right. that's your job. Right. Now let's talk about the ordinary fan in basketball. If I put Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Michael Absolutely. Jordan, they all, I put them, not only me, but any fan, anybody can name them all. Yep. That's the difference. Yep. We've got to be able to name all. That's why the NFL rule of taking the helmet off, they don't like that. <laughs> I want the helmets off. Absolutely. I want facial recognition of my players, not just behind a face mask. Yep. Uh, baseball absolutely has to do a better job uh, of getting those guys' faces out there. Agnostic. Up. Yeah. <laughs> right? He just Number said, hey, one. No, he's got to get them out there and uh, and build some stars out there for baseball because there's some tremendous talent right now that's going on in the game. All right. World Series picks. So you have the Astros representing the American League, correct? Yep. Who do you have from the National League in the World Series? My favorite bridesmaid. And I'm not talking about the movie. <laughs> Although, by the way, what a great movie. Who is your favorite bridesmaid? Los Angeles Dodgers. So it is the Dodgers. They're the right. bridesmaid. They make it. They've actually five or six. They're on a five or six year run of going up the ladder. They look the division series to the championship series to the World Series. They've lost two in a row. I'm calling for them to make it a trifecta. Really? Three in a row. You, uh, you in Vegas agree, uh, the Dodgers are the odds on favor for the National League, uh, to, to represent the National League in the World Series. That's generally a lagging indicator when I agree with <laughs> Four to one of the Dodgers. <laughs> Phillies are at 11 to two. Nationals at 11 to two as well. So it'll be interesting to see. Good stuff. We'll have David Sampson here all the time throughout baseball season. Get us all cut up. You have a monster day today, by the way. You're all over HQ all afternoon. And then you're filling in on, uh, Bill Ryder's show, right? Doing the Ryder's That's block all, at five o'clock live. Is that your first time ever hosting that show? Yes, it is. Are you nervous at all? Not at all. No, 
because you look at me and you're like, if this dude can host a show, By I can too, right? No, I actually, that's, that's I think easy. that about Raja, actually, not you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Appreciate it. And, uh, Thank you. have fun the rest of the day. I'm bringing my photo for the next time. Yeah, definitely. Bring one. For real. We need to get that up there for David next time he's in it. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald says Odell Beckham Jr. won't have as many distractions in Cleveland. Uh, Captain Obvious right there, Larry Fitzgerald is saying that because having played in New York, New York, uh, myself with the New York Giants and then going to other markets, it is an entirely different world playing in New York than it is anywhere else. You have better nightlife options. No offense to Cleveland, uh, but it's significantly better in New York. You have better business opportunities, which can be a great thing, but it can also be a distraction, uh, to players when you have different companies that are constantly coming to you presenting you with ideas um with opportunities that can be great but they can also be very time consuming and take up a lot of your time um but the nightlife thing is i think what larry fitzgerald was probably alluding to and the nightlife gets really tempting in new york because not only is there just a good club scene or bar scene or nightlife scene whatever you want to call it but it's the people that are at the scene that make it really tempting and really tough to turn down because you have celebrities. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr., when he did his interview uh, early in the season, which I think led to his demise with the Giants, do you remember who was sitting next to him? It was Lil Wayne who was sitting next to him in that interview. I don't know why he was there, uh, but he was there in the interview kind of sitting there getting him support. Those types of phone calls you get all the time in New York from your celebrity friends. And trust me, Odell Beckham Jr. probably has a pretty good Rolodex of numbers of celebrities that are out there, whether it's actors, rappers, you know, fashion, whatever it is, that are calling him when they're in town saying, hey, meet me out. And it gets really tempting. It's one thing to say no to your boys, uh, but it's another one to say no to whoever this newest celebrity is that's in town that wants you to come hang out with them. So I think it's absolutely going to be a lot easier for Odell Beckham to focus. What I think is going to be tough is I think Odell Odell Beckham is going to miss that New York scene. He's going to miss the opportunities that he he had. He's going to miss the branding that he got playing in New York because it is a whole different ball game. Larry Fitzgerald specifically said, his quote was when he was talking to some of the media out at uh, the owners' meetings out in Arizona, I think it can be great for him, kind of saying exactly what I just said. Getting to a smaller city where there's just not as many distractions, he can focus on ball and really let his talents do the speaking for him. He's with that group with Jarvis Landry. Again, they went to college together, so that could be great. A great, great combination for a rising quarterback and Baker Mayfield as well. That's one of the reasons I am all in on the Browns this year. I think they do have the talent to make a Super Bowl run. The one thing I'm curious to see is with all these personalities, Baker Mayfield, um, Odell Beckham Jr., You've got Jarvis Lander, who's pretty outspoken himself. How do they handle adversity? Because it's going to come at some point in this season. You don't go 16-0. and It just doesn't happen. How do they respond? How does Odell respond when he doesn't get enough touches? How does Jarvis Landry respond when Odell Beckham on opening day goes for 150 and he only gets 30 yards? How do these guys come together? Or Baker Mayfield, second year, sophomore slump. Does it happen? I don't think it does. I think they're headed in the right direction. But it all remains to be seen when you throw all this together how does it work? Uh, welcome back to Canel and Bell. We should really investigate looking into having an open camera that's like on some special feed that we can do between breaks because some of our best content and sometimes it makes me look foolish is during our breaks when we have some of our conversations. We'll have to get that done. Uh, Jalen Hurts 
has spoken for the first time is Oklahoma's new quarterback. That's right, the former Alabama quarterback who had such an incredible start to his career at Alabama when he went 26-2 and as a starter, then, of course, lost his job to Tua Tonga-Valoa, then graduates, most importantly, and then decided, hey, I'm going to survey the landscape. I'm going to go somewhere where I can showcase my skills as a quarterback. So he goes to Oklahoma. He came out, and he was asked about the expectations and a potential third Heisman from that university because you've had uh, a couple back-to-backs with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. So he said, and I think this is exactly what he needed to say, I don't want to get into comparisons. Baker is Baker, Kyler is Kyler, and I'm me. Coach Riley has done an exceptional job thus far since I've been here of setting that foundation of how things should be. To achieve more, you got to elevate yourself, got to give an honest self-assessment on yourself, so you can do the things you want to do. Uh, my past success, the things I've done and achieved, those won't help us win any games in the fall. This is not about the past. It's about what we are going to do with the time we have together as a team. I love uh, Jalen Hurst, probably one of my favorite college football players uh, this upcoming season and over the past couple years because of the way he's handled himself. It's not because of anything he's done in the field where he played, again, 26-2 and as a starter at Bama, uh, took them to the title game. Uh, incredible accomplishments on the field, but it's the way he's handled himself off the field. Total class when he got benched in the championship game against Georgia at halftime. And I don't think it was phony. A lot of times when you get benched, you know what you have to do. So you go out there and you clap and you act like you're cheering for your teammate. I don't think that was the case with Jalen Hurts. I genuinely think he wanted to help Tua Tonga-Valoa succeed so they could come back and win a championship. That's what good teammates do. And I think that's the best way you could describe Jalen Hurts is a great teammate who's got a lot of class and a lot of character. That being said, and going, you know, this past year it was great to see him in the SEC championship game. He handled that situation great afterwards, saying all the right things. But here's where I'm worried for Jalen Hurts. He's going to a situation where the bar has been set so high with Baker Mayfield and with Kyler Murray. I think it's going to be impossible for him to achieve that level of success. And that's not a knock at all, but I don't think he'll be the third Heisman Trophy winner. I don't think Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12 this year. I think there's going to be a regression. Texas is coming on strong. They look great against Georgia. Um, I worry because I think all the Oklahoma fans are excited to have Jalen Hurts now, but what do they do when he's not those quarterbacks and they don't have the numbers that they've had in the last several years? I think it's going to be a really tough reality for Jalen Hurts. There's no doubt in my mind he'll be able to handle it, uh, the adversity that he's going to face. But as somebody myself who followed a Heisman Trophy winner who had just won a national championship in Charlie Ward at Florida State, there's a bittersweet aspect of, hey, this is a great opportunity and I can go out there and play great, but it's never going to be good enough because of what just went through the university. And that's a really tough spot to be in. I think Jalen Hurts is the right guy for the job to handle that. But I just don't see him having the types of numbers and the success that those two quarterbacks did before. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I'm rooting for him. But I think Lincoln Riley is going to uh, really have to maximize Jalen Hurts' potential. And there is a reason why he lost his job to Tua Tonga-Valoa because he wasn't as good in the passing game. Now he's going to go to an offense where it's built around the passing game. So I need to be really curious to see how he does. But I'm definitely going to be rooting for him uh, as he takes over for the Sooners at quarterback uh, in the fall. In basketball news, you had an interesting situation develop uh, in college basketball because Alabama uh, fired Avery Johnson, uh, and they were going on this head coaching search, and they found their guy. The problem was their guy, who was Buffalo's Nate Oates, 
had literally just signed an extension with Buffalo where he was two weeks ago. Buffalo had a great season, made the tournament. Uh, they gave him a, a, a nice little extension. And it was two weeks ago, so I'm sure it was promoted heavily for Buffalo and their recruits. Well, Bama says, we want him. So he goes there, and there's people up in arms saying, up, oh, this is just another example of why coaches are treated differently and what's wrong with the system with the players. I don't have a problem with it because he was uh, – he did have to buy his way out of the extension with Buffalo. He did have to pay out his contract there. Uh, and because this is this is the way the system works as we know it, these coaches can be fired too. Go look at the litany, the list of coaches who have been fired. Avery Johnson, where he just was, that have years left on their contract, and they're just kicked to the curb. That's what I don't want to happen with players. If players become employees – they can be treated like that. They can be kicked to the curb if they have a bad game, if they throw four interceptions. You can not only get benched, you could lose your job. And that's what I don't want to have to see happen with student athletes. Let's remember that when they're there. Plus, he did have to pay out his contract, so there is something there. But this is also why I do think players should be allowed to leave. Um, if coaches are allowed to bounce from university to university, players should be too. I just don't want players to be treated as employees because then they'll come to the harsh reality of what the real world is all about. And that's getting hired, and it's also getting fired. Uh, that comes with the territory. Um, Harry Kane, some news out of soccer, because I think this is great. I can't even tell you where Harry Kane plays. I just know he's an international soccer stud who played in the World Cup, and it was awesome. But he has made it official. Not official official, but he said he wants to play in the NFL, which I think would be awesome. I think if the, if soccer stars wanted to come to America, I'd rather see them play in the NFL as kickers than go watch them in the MLS where I'm not going to see them. I'm not even going to see them play at all. I love two-sport athletes. I want to see a dude stretch his uh, boundaries of what they can accomplish and see if a soccer player could actually get it done. If you can go from kicking a circular ball to an oblong-shaped ball and have the same success that some of these American kickers have had uh, in the NFL. So good for him as they get there. All right, so some quick, pick, uh, quick picks. So I think about that real quick uh, to finish off the show. All right. No, no. We're going to do the picks right here. College basketball. We're going to do our picks finish still. Gonzaga against Florida State. They play tonight at 7.09. This is the game that terrifies me for Florida State. They faced off last year. Uh, Florida State won the game last year. I think Gonzaga is going to be out for revenge. Everybody and their brother is loving Florida State. I'll be rooting for Florida State. If I was giving out gambling advice, I would take take Gonzaga and lay the points. Uh, the other game, Tennessee versus Purdue. Purdue's, uh, Tennessee is a two-point favorite. I am all over Purdue in this one as an underdog getting two points. Tennessee has been a disaster in the tournament. Close to come, uh, really close to blowing a couple big leads, including, uh, they had the 14-point lead they blew against Colgate in the first round. Then they lost the 25-point lead against Iowa. Before they got the game to overtime, they got the game back under control. But I think Tennessee is really struggling playing from ahead. And I think that could be a, pose a big problem. When I mean, they face a better talented team like Purdue, I'll take Purdue in those, uh, uh, in the points right there. Michigan, one and a half point favor versus Texas Tech. I'm going to ride the Wolverines. They've been hot flying under the radar. It's a 9.39 PM, uh, tip. So take Michigan in the one and a half. And then our other game, Virginia, eight and a half point favorite against Oregon, the 12 seed. It's really our only Cinderella, even though it's a Pac-12 champ. How much of a Cinderella can you really ta- uh, call them? In the late game, I'm going to take Virginia and the eight and a half. I think they're the probably one of the most underrated teams as a one seed in the tournament that's left. So take Virginia, lay in the eight and a half points. Enjoy the game. We'll be back tomorrow with Brady Quinn.